When you are incoherent, it means that you, as the clinician, are the instrument of that coherence, right? It means that because you have that coherence, anything you do will be in service of that. When you're out of sync, you could say, or not in integrity or not in coherence or not in resonance, then anything you do will miss the mark. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. There's no way to avoid this moment in time, the paths not taken that brought you to here, the experiences avoided, and those grasped with an eager willingness. Every moment turned away, and all those greeted with enthusiastic eyes, the failures that pushed you towards something better, and the successes that took you away from the errors and misfortunes of childhood. Everything sought and avoided, everything hoped for, and everything guarded against all that felt like you at your core and all that was foreign as your immigrated ancestor. The present moment is not something that you can turn away from, even as you attempt to avert your vision. Life is a catastrophe in its ever-fleeting wash of cycles and tides, storms and calm, the moments of gathering contentment and those of chaotic dispersion. What do you hold on to, or perhaps better yet, let go of, to allow the unasked-for unfolding that's in front of you to find its way in, to allow a way into the yes to what you'd most like to avoid, to embrace the path you took to avoid your fate as the path that takes you directly to your destiny, how to stay awake when you'd most rather dream anything other than the problem before you, how do you stay present in the midst of uncertainty so as to harvest unrevealed opportunities? Just where does your courage come from when you're fresh out of ideas and your fears stand fiercely before you? The present moment is all we have. So often, it's fuel for our discontentment or a fleeting pleasure that's sliding out of our grasp. But somewhere in the middle, there is simply this moment. With all the catastrophe that has brought us to here and all the potential that awaits your attentive presence. Patients show up in our clinic with a story and snapshot of who they are. And part of our job is to get a glimpse of the movie, to see something of the path they've trod that brings them to where they are right now. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year. 
and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Meiwei.com to find the perfect Ponsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code CHEOLOGICAL at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. In this conversation with Josephine Spilker, we discuss the ancestral influences that come through the eight extraordinary vessels, how the divergent channels protect us, perhaps for an entire lifetime, from the influences that could severely damage or kill us, and how the law help us through the bumps and the turns of life so that we can manage. I never know where a conversation with Josephine will go, but I do know we will cover some worthwhile terrain. Let's get into this. Josephine Spilka, welcome to Geological. Thank you. So good to be here. Always good to have you here. I should say welcome back to Geological. You've been here a couple of times. You helped to kick the podcast off oh, five-ish years ago. We did a mm. episode, I think it's number two, actually. Yep. On uh, the Divergent Channels. Yeah. People still talk about that sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, it's something I want to talk about more at some point because I still only barely grasp this stuff, but that's not what we're here for today. And this is like the funnest thing about the podcast. You know, it's unscripted. We're just going to take a topic and we're going to run. The heart in the clinic. I love it that we can just grab a topic like this and see how it wants to unwind. Not unlike doing a treatment. Step in somewhere, see what happens. So heart in the clinic. We had some conversation before sitting down here over some time. And one of the things about clinic to me that's so incredible, it's such a privilege to get to do the work. There's all the technique that we bring to it. There's all the knowledge that we bring to it. But there's also this thing about who we are and how we are. Yes. That's a whole other piece. I just keep going back to the thing about the heart as opposed to my heart, your heart, a heart, the heart, mm. which for me evokes that relationship we have with global issues and how our health is intricately connected in how we are connected or not connected with our world. That that is actually the way we become ill. We become disconnected from our world. And in Chinese medicine, you know, we say the main way we connect is through the heart, through the spirit, anywhere, anytime. So the other thing that occurs to me about this all the time is the fact that it's it's a living dynamic. Our medicine is living, and each of us is living it in a unique way all the time. Yeah, it kind of lives through us. Yeah. 
So when somebody asked me if I would come together in her clinic with people who were practicing in the classical styles, the different channel systems, layers of the body, I really just thought I want it to be a living expression of the people and their poetry, so to speak, as they meet themselves and their clients in a clinic setting. Living poetry. So tell me more about that. What would that look like? Well, recently I heard somebody, actually Chinese translator, speak about poetry, that poetry is the external expression of the inner world. What I think in the clinic is that our own perception, our own knowing, our own faculties, our sensations and perceptions are the truth of that moment. We think it's what the patient says, but actually it's what we receive because that's what we can use. And that comes through us, as you're saying, and then it becomes whatever it becomes in that moment, which is a kind of poem. It's a kind of relationship between what's happening inside the clinician and what's happening in the world, which includes the person who has offered themselves for treatment. I like to say it that way. And that becomes a poem because it's a mystery that unfolds in the expression. Absolutely. You know, there's so much ascent. I mean, there's all the skills we have. Again, I'm kind of back to technique here. Yeah. But there's also that uncertainty and that unknowing anytime we walk into a clinical encounter. It's like, who is this person? Today, we might have already seen them 20 times. Who are they now? Right. What do they need now? Or it could be a, like someone I saw this morning, first time ever. Huh, who is this person? Right. You know, how do I know that? And holding space for all of that to unfold. I want to come back to something you said about our own perception, our own knowing as, as having a kind of truth to it. I think you said that. Mm. Okay, good. I want to make sure I'm not putting words in your mouth. <laughs> no, that's true. So as a long-time meditator, as a long-time sort of Buddhist practitioner and, and clinician and all that, and I've only got you know a smattering of that, but you know enough that I am both grateful for the perception that I have. I wouldn't say I trust it completely because it seems to me that perception, it's connect to the levers of belief <laughs> and hope, right? Yeah. And ideology or theory. So there's all these mental constructs we have that kind of you know, warp what happens to our sensorium and our perception. And so, yes, there's a kind of a truth. And yes, there's kind of a distortion. So maybe you know this, but in Buddhist cosmology of the mind and perception, there's both the yin and yang of it. There's the datu, the place, the eyes, and then there's the seeing, which is the chi, the separate, the different activity. So there's the eyes and there's the seeing. Okay. I hear you, yeah. and you are correct. Much of the time, our idea about our perception is connected to our belief, but our actual perception, which is what I'm after, mm. is free. Our actual perception is clean, clear. Trungpa Rinpoche used to call that first thought, best thought, the clear and clean perception that comes before you add those layers of belief, hope, fear, ideas, concepts, what you learned in school, what you read in a magazine, who knows. And actually, this is a huge part of my intention in the heart in the clinic setting to work with people to gather their direct perception, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Because that's trustworthy. It is completely trustworthy. It's unfiltered. That's the thing. 100%. So that's our real issue, right, is finding that awareness that lies there in that moment before we add the filters. So here's where it gets very tricky for me. I get it that there can be an initial impression, but then the filters snap in so quickly. Mm -hmm. They do. And then I start wondering, was that the first thought? Is that the filter? Did I catch it? Right. Did I miss it? Right. Blah, 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 blah. Wait a minute. Maybe I'll just do the four gates. 
<laughs> no, I hear you. I know. And this is a, it's a really interesting point. I think you can teach people to mine their experience for the direct perception. It's there. Yes. In the beginning, it feels like you're being dropped into this sort of morass of things that come up and you feel like they come up all at once. But I think you can using sensation, using meditation, you can refine your awareness so that you can detect it. And I think pulse taking is a perfect example of how clinicians from Chinese medicine for thousands of years have done it. Because when you go to take the pulse, the dominant thing is sensation. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to understand the difference between what you feel and the words you give it, because they're just words. They're not equivalent to what you feel. They're just labels. So there's the experience of feeling and knowing, and then there's the labels. And it's easy to feel the, the space between those two in that case because of the physicality of it. That rings true for me. Hmm. And perhaps one of the reasons why the pulse is so helpful, I know for myself <laughs> 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 that there's times I've been like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. And I'll just go back to the pulse as a way to do two things. Number one, ground myself. Hello, is there something here I'm going to try to get quiet? And two, I'm stalling for time before I have to do something or say something. No, 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 no. Trust me, trust me. I have stalled for time. I'm not sure what I'm doing. I need to keep at it. I know there's something here. This is within the rubric of what we're allowed to do. It's a weird thing. Patients understand when I'm taking the pulse, we're just going to be quiet. We don't have to talk. We don't have to interact verbally. I use it to stall for time. And I bet there's a lot of you out there right now going, yep, mm -hmm, helps me too. <laughs> And what you just said about it's something that is sensate without labels, it's an attending to experience this beat, this beat, this beat, this beat. And so has a kind of invitation to come into a coherence with ourselves, with our patients, and with the moment without thought. Yes. I love what you said, come into coherence, because we know that everything we do everything we do in Chinese medicine comes through resonance, vibration, right? Mm. The issue of coherence, I love that word, and integrity are so related. Like how much vibration can I receive without losing the rhythm, staying in rhythm or losing integrity, like just coming out of it completely? To me, this is the beauty of Again, taking the pulse is just like this beautiful way that we find that in that clinical moment where you think you're there to try to find out what to do, but you're actually there to achieve resonance. Oh, <laughs> hang on, hang on. I want to say that back to you, mainly because I want to make sure I remember it. My job there in clinic, my quest, as it were, thinking Monty Python all of a sudden, thing that I'm there to do. It's not to figure out what to do, it's to come into a deeper resonance. It's not to figure out what to do, but it's to come into the deeper resonance. Because the minute you do that. Yeah, and then the minute that you do that. Everything's fine. The patient is already, they're going to heal. It's going to be fine. Mm, that's a big jump. Help me out here. I, I can't quite make that jump. I'm still thinking there's something that is my part to do mm -hmm. in this clinical relationship. Your part to do is to show up 100%, all faculties online, mm -hmm. right? You show up 100%, your faculties are online, and you use them. You, what do you use them to do? You use them to be in resonance because that resonance is the heart space. And the heart space is free, luminous, and simple. No illness gets to reside there. We know that about the heart, right? No illness resides there. Well, I'm going to ask you in a moment about this 
actually, I'm going to ask you right now. I think I might have, it's the first time I've heard it from you, but I do know this, the Zheng Qi, the upright Qi, this is also an aspect of us, incorruptible, mm-hmm. cannot be made ill. Mm-hmm. With us at the point of death, cannot hold illness, can only hold upright. Mm-hmm. So seems like we're on the same page with that. Mm-hmm. How's the Zheng Qi connected to this particular aspect of the heart space? So in my, what I would call layered view, that happens through the primary channels. That happens through the present moment, right? So we are beings through time, but time is somewhat circular and folded on itself. We carry in us the layer of our being that goes back thousands of years through our ancestors, right? We ate extraordinary vessels. And then we carry in us the layer of our being that protects us from death in this life and holds those things that would threaten us. And that's the divergent channels. And then we have the layer of postnatal life where we live in the present moment, where we are functioning as beautiful, living, working, eating, pooping, singing beings. And then we have the adjuncts, you could say, of postnatal life, the low vessel system that helps us deal with the bumps in the road, the things that come along that we can't manage in the present moment, but we know we need to. And we use our postnatal resource of blood or dampness if we don't have much blood to handle that, right? And then we have the other adjunct, which is the sinew system, right? The sinews that allow us to use our structure in our world and relate with the external world in a movement way, right? So for me, that junchi is the relationship that happens on the primary channels and then relates directly with the sinews, right, to support our weiji and our yinji. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical, and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Well, you just laid out a roadmap here that we could probably talk about for the next eight hours at least. (laughs) We don't have eight hours, but we'll just kind of flit over like a hummingbird maybe. Oh, that's lovely because today, actually, I finally got a picture of the hummingbird. I've been sitting on my deck with my camera stalking the hummingbirds that they fight over the beautiful blooms on the fuchsia and the begonia and they fight but they flit around so fast it's hard to get them but today i did so all right good day for hummingbird energy yes it is (laughs) so first of all thank you helpful to get a sense of how you see the jung chi and actually related into the sinew channels i often think of it as being a deeper aspect hmm and this is where Chinese medicine gets really weird for me because I, I feel like I got a grasp of certain parts of it. And then I say something in my mind like, oh, yeah, the Zheng Qi, it's, it's, it's a deeper aspect. If you ask me deeper in what way, I kind of go, uh, 
I'm not sure. I, I just think it is. But you've laid out something here with the eight extras as being a kind of ancestral energy, time unfolded over itself, a core part of our structure, and it carries that ancestral influence. And you've got the divergences, which holds the stuff that could otherwise maybe kill us. It's like deep storage. We've talked about that back in episode number two. Talk about how it could handle, maybe for our entire life, mm -hmm. some things that you know would otherwise take us out. Maybe later it needs to be transformed, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. You know, we often have this idea here in the West that oh, whatever's on the inside, you have to transform it and make it true on the outside, and uh, maybe, right? Maybe we don't say that in Taoism. I mean, you know, in, in sort of this cosmology, we just say, if you know, you get to choose, that's up to you, your curriculum, so to speak. Yes. Well, Taoism is not salvational, but our Western culture and all of our Western religions are salvational. I think the psychology that comes out of our Western world, as much as I love C.G. Jung and, and all that, it's kind of salvational. I don't want to draw a conclusion that one's good and one's bad. There are roads that take you down different paths. Anyway, there's your divergences. They, protect us from stuff unless we choose to take that lesson, in which case we can. Good for us. And you got the regular channels, and that's life in general. The law channels, and, and I want to get into this in a second. The law channels are a way of dealing with bumps in the road. Not storing away like the divergences, but uh, okay, we got a little detour here or something. I want to come back to that in a second. And then the sinews, of course, being part of the Wei Qi and externally how we move into the world and you kind of slotting the Zheng Qi into the, the regular channels and the sinews. I'm looking at how you've laid it out here. I'm trying to think where else would I, you know, when I say Zheng Qi is a deeper aspect, where would I put it? Actually, I think I'd put it in the blood hmm. and I think I'd put it in the Qing. I think I'd put it in these kind of fluid-like aspects of us. But that's just me in this moment kind of riffing on what, you know, <laughs> we're just playing jazz here. Well, I was thinking when you said you, th you were saying it felt like it was deeper aspect, I was thinking, well, that's because it relies on kidney. It relies on the will. But of course, the kidneys hold both that structural ancestral element and they participate in the yin level, right? The heart and the kidneys are the yin layer of the body. Mm-hmm. So heart and small intestine, kidney and bladder form that yin level where it allows us to interact on the axis of our will and our heart. So I think in that way, sure, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. That ties it right back into that yin chi. So that makes sense from that point of view, for sure. I can see that as well. I'm, I'm a little surprised in this conversation saying, yeah, I, I think the jung is also somehow in the blood. You know, I found myself saying it. That feels right. Mm -hmm. I don't have any like great quotes from the classics to back that up, other than a sense that the blood also holds the chi in, it also holds the shen. And there's just something about blood and fluids that has my attention these days. Something very dynamic mm. that goes on with that. Well, it's the medium, you know, because of yin and yang, we can't have we can't have jung chi without something to hold it. There you go. We do need the art these physical substrates to Absolutely. So, all right. Thank you for that detour. Oh, it's all on the topic of heart, is it not? Yes, it is. Because blood is the medium for the heart as well. Well, there we are. <laughs> all of a piece. So I want to come back to this piece that I detoured us off earlier about that if we can be in the room with our patients and in that state of coherence, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I heard something to the effect of that's all that's needed. Mm. Did I get that right? I think that's true because when you are incoherent, it means that you as the clinician are the instrument of that coherence, mm -hmm. right? It means that because you have that coherence, anything you do will be in service of that. When you're out of sync, you could say, or not in integrity or not in coherence or not in resonance, then anything you do will miss the mark. So, I mean, we all have this experience. 
we have people we meet that we cannot resonate with mm. that do not resonate with us. And I think in my experience, I mean, when I was younger, I would try very hard, even if that was true, to, to be helpful. <laughs> but I think I have to admit, as I reflect on the years I have been in practice now for, gosh, 28 years now. So I would venture to say that I wasn't actually helpful to them until I told them to go see somebody else. Mm. Or my skills weren't great enough at that time to open my heart such that I could resonate with them. That goes back to your remarks about our own beliefs and perceptions being too connected. I'll give you a really good example from my early days in practice. I was worked with a lot of pregnant women because I'm also a midwife. And so I have a lot of opinions, needless to say, and beliefs about how one should treat themselves as a pregnant person. I was very opinionated. I think many of us are. I didn't think for a minute I had to put that down in order to help somebody until the day that somebody came into my office and I had to tell them to go to the hospital because I was afraid they were going to hurt themselves and hurt their baby by what they were doing. And I knew that I did not have what it took to get through to them. And so I had to send them to the hospital. Boy, that was a sobering moment. And, you know, reflecting on that moment, it's not that I shouldn't have sent them or that I shouldn't ever see patients who need to go to the hospital. I, I think it, it's happened to me three or four times in my career, and I, I don't regret that. But it showed me how I wasn't in integrity with this person, or I would have probably fired her a lot sooner in her pregnancy. Because mm -hmm. at that point, she was ready to have the baby and having horrific problems, urinary tract problems, and basically becoming kidney infection and threatening early labor. And I was just like, I don't really want to see this happening in my office right now. Thank you very much. I think this is part of the development. I know I've had to go through that. I, you know, I don't want to make this universal and say we all have to. You know, I don't know other people's paths, but I certainly know for myself there was this period shortly after getting out of school where I thought, this medicine is amazing. And I, man, I can do anything. I should be able to treat anybody. I should be able to help any person in some way. Yeah, that's what I said to myself. I should be able to help anyone in some kind of a way. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered through some experience very painfully gained, there are certain people I'm not going to be able to help. People that come in with very severe mental health issues, no, I can't help them. There may be acupuncturists who can. I can't. I don't have that capacity. It only took a couple of experiences that went very sideways to realize, yeah, you know, there's things that I'm just not good at. Maybe I could develop it, but, you know, you could also maybe teach a fish to climb a tree, but it's better if you leave the fish in the water. But see, I would go back to saying that's a matter of resonance and coherence. Because what I would suggest is that for me, I can't speak for you, but for me in the situation I was describing, that the fear I had and my belief about her situation destabilized me. I couldn't stay in resonance with her because she was willing to push her limit past something I wasn't going to be comfortable with. Personally, my personal perception was that she was in danger. Now, in a sense, you could say I respected that by sending her to the hospital, that that was an act of coherence. Well, and this brings up for me the connection between coherence and boundaries. Because mm -hmm. I know that over time I've gotten way, way better with my boundaries. And just describing that experience with, with some mentally ill people, this is back when I had a clinic at the Pike Place Market in Seattle. Mm. So I had all kinds of people walking in that door. Yeah. And I learned in short order to kind of read a person's energy as they were coming in the door and either invite them in or walk up and chew them out. Yeah, I wish I got some training in coherence. Yes. With that kind of a thing. And I love that you're tying that to boundaries because 
this is this is precisely <laughs> one of the issues with this whole idea that we should be able to help anybody. Our hearts are open. We are compassionate. We want to be available. We do. And coherence will show you where the boundary is. Mm. And if you are not in resonance and you don't see where the boundary is, you are dangerous to yourself and others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And so this is very tricky for us in this profession because we don't get the kind of training that, say, a psychotherapist or psychiatrist would get or a social worker or a physical therapist, people who are, you know, other types of practitioners who are aligned with sort of frontline diagnoses, Mm -hmm. you could say, and we don't get that training. So we are actually in a position, I think, where we have to rely more on our own faculties. And we, we do, I think, have to do this work of honoring our own integrity, our own coherence. In other words, your own knowing, just like I was saying at the beginning, is the guideline. And if you mistrust it, and I've done this many times, I think it's very difficult to say no to people when they're suffering. There's no question. I know I wasn't helpful for those extra four or five treatments that I gave somebody who I couldn't stand being in the room with. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this speaks something to a thing I'm going to call capacity. Mm -hmm. Whatever capacity we have to be mindful, to help with the medicine that we have, we've all got different capacities. Some people have 10-gallon buckets. They got a lot of capacity. Some of us have like, you know, two pints. This is not a judgment, good or bad. This is about being able to match this to that. If you have the capacity, then great. You know, you might be able to help certain kinds of people. If you don't have the capacity, it's very important to recognize it and hopefully point them in a direction to somebody who does. Yes. And you can also develop your capacity. And if you choose, you can develop it. Yes. You could say some of us come from the the school of hard knocks, a bitter and painful experience in developing capacity. But that's in a way, I feel like I want to share what I've learned so that other people don't have to go through it in the same way. Yeah, it's nice to be able to smooth the path for others. And I often wonder, how much smoothing can you actually do? It's a good question. Some lessons are gained through difficulty. And I don't know if it's possible to not gain them without some difficulty. I agree. I hear you. I know that. Again, I'm bringing in my Buddhist training because it speaks directly to this, that in that way of working with the mind, we develop our capacity to use our awareness for this purpose, for to be able to determine accurately when to apply pressure to ourselves and when to step aside or back off and how to know what's appropriate. And what I realized for myself is that it's very easy in the clinic with needles because they're so powerful. Well, it's just easy. I want to say it's easy to use the book. (laughs) It's easy to use the book that says, do these points and it'll be fine, right? And I guess I'm suggesting that the power that comes from knowing what's true for you kind of flips that around and says that you know more than any book in that moment about what is best. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. 
Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Okay. So, yes, I can follow that, and there's a part of me that agrees with you, if we're in that coherence. And at the same time, I know something about my own goofy mind, which will talk me into all kinds of stuff. And I'm foolish enough to often fall for it, more often than I care to admit. So, it brings up the question for me of, of when am I in this state that we talked about earlier, a little more accessible to first impressions and being guided by coherence. And when have I bought my own line of bullshit? I think I know. I've got a feeling. I've got an intuition. I think there are concrete ways to suss that out. I do believe that. I really do that we can become adept at both sharing in the sort of, it is a gift to hear stories, mm. both other people's stories and our own stories. That's a gift. And they are stories. They're just stories, which are beautiful, but they're, they are uh, subject to impermanence and change and the vicissitudes of one's own capacity always. So we talk about finding in your practice the things that are unchanging, the thing that is always there for you. Recently, I've been speaking about this book, I don't know, to at least three or four people in the last couple of weeks, a Zen teacher whose name I can't remember, but the book I can remember, it's called From Novice to Master, An Ongoing Lesson in the Extent of My Own Stupidity. <laughs> And he <laughs> and he says that his breath is his only treasure, right? It's his only treasure because it's the only thing that's always there. So I think that is the navigation that is so that we are given the the opportunity to navigate that with every client because we listen and we're there and we open and we hear it. And when we go to give a treatment, we have to act from the place of presence, from our own faculties, not from our story about their story, which isn't our story, and not from our story, which isn't their story. It's like, well, yeah, okay. That's like we fill the room with birdsong, with all the story, and then we still have to water the plants. We still have to find out where the roots are. What do they need, right? We don't get distracted by the 16 different songs that we hear. Again, I am back to that question of honing in on that coherence. Mm -hmm. Because in some ways, in those moments, and, and you know, I've had those moments. I think we've all had those moments. You know when you're in it. Mm -hmm. But it's like skiing difficult terrain. You're a little over your skis. You're a little back on your skis. <gasps> oh, I'm in the fall line and I'm completely weightless. Turn, turn, turn. There it is. And then you catch a little whatever and you're, and you're off again, right? Oh, you, there's a story. It rhymes with your story. It makes you think of another patient. Whoop, where'd I go? So it, it's a constant mm -hmm. process of, of honing attention. Yes, I think it is. I think it is. And this is why I love working with students. I so enjoy working in that setting with many people because of that, because it is the challenge to hone the attention, both my own and the people in the room. And I think it's how we practice together. I think the other thing I said to you when we were talking about having this conversation is and I think this is an important piece that we don't talk much about, is that our medicine and our cultural situation is 
hierarchical, or I don't want to use that dirty word, patriarchal, but it's hierarchical. Mm. And I think that medicine, real medicine, medicine that comes from presence, has no hierarchy, that it operates in a, what I like to call power with modality. So the power is with that coherence. And then you ride that power through that situation, just as if you're on a horse or skis or a surfboard in a new and dynamic environment. That's exactly what you're in. You're in a dynamic environment and you're in a power with situation. Because if you try to do power over, you will get knocked over most likely. Or you'll knock something over. Or you'll knock something over. Yeah. It can go the other way. It can go either way. Yes. Right. Can go either way. Exactly. But I do completely agree. It is a honed skill. It's a refinement of our attention that at least for me, when I first was treating people, for me, it one-on-one is native. You know, like I get what it means to focus with one other person, but to focus with a lot going on or other people, this is more difficult. And you could say in our minds, there's always a lot of people (laughs) as we get older, (laughs) as we get older, we're in this sort of constant relationship with a lot of people, unless we can figure out how to discern where the coherence is in that moment. Where is the presence leading us in that moment? Talk to me more about that. Well, this has also been one of the things that I think about a lot about the fact that the heart in Chinese thinking, Chinese medical thinking is a a space. It's empty. It's not full. It's alive, but it's not active. It's present. And I think that quality is present in all living things all the time. We just don't notice it. And if we begin to notice it, There's this great guy, William Bryant Logan, in this book called Dirt. And he talks about Moses and the burning bush. And he says, Moses sees the bush as it really is. It's burning. It's alive. This is, I think, the nature of things when our heart is truly open. This is how we see things. They're just alive. And we follow that living quality. It's like the light of that living quality is so makes everything so clear and so bright. So we're following the light of that living quality. We're not following our constructs and stories about it. We're following that light illuminating from the bush. Yes. And I would suggest to you that that light emanates from exactly what we've been talking about, from our own resonance. That's the place where our feet touch the ground, where our life force meets the people in our clinic or the people in our family or the people in the other cars or the people at the grocery store. Like at any point that's plausible that we meet it. And that then whatever we meet is there's healing that happens through that meeting. And that meeting could be in the treatment room and it could be at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. It could be using needles or you could be using words, or you could be using movement, you could be using a musical instrument. Or just silence in the presence. Or silence. It adds potency to our work, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I mean, you were talking earlier about, we can, I'm using air quotes here, use the book Mm -hmm. and needles. And, you know, you can do a lot of good in the world. You can get a long way. Mm -hmm. You can actually get a long way. You really can. There are a lot of good books out there. And a lot of good books. There's a lot of good ideas. There's a, there's a bunch of stories and ideas about acupuncture and East Asian and Chinese medicine. And there's some damn good stories. Mm-hmm. And they're useful. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other thing that we're talking about, a kind of potency that comes out of meeting in that place of coherence. I think of the character Li. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is often translated as patterning, but also as coherence. I often think of it as coherence. It's like the patterns you see in the wind across a field of wheat or the 
lines in a piece of jade, grain, and wood. Um, the thing that connects, the patterns that connect. And I think there's kind of a wave, almost watery sense to the experience of coherence as, as I have come to understand it. Mm. Which I think yeah. brings us, as my friend Stacey Wickham would say, we've walked that dog around the block. It brings me back to <laughs> thinking of the Jung as also having a connection into the blood. Yes. And I just think there's value in at every step of the way in terms of our what we're offering people and how we employ all these amazing things that come down to us through our lineage of medicine. And I like to say we're always making medicine mm. in this moment. And we could be making medicine that that causes things to happen that we didn't imagine or wish for knew were going to happen as opposed to the medicine that has in theory an outcome that we can determine. Say more about that. Well, my issue with say the books is not so much that they're books. I love books and I love all of that, but that people come to mistake the experience someone else had for the one they're about to oh, create. Right. I'm here at your clinic because my friend so-and-so sent me here and her back pain is gone. So now you're going to make my digestion better. Right. Which actually is the tacit agreement that we all have. Mm. That's also true. We're in business to help people. Um, ideally, we've helped people and, and they're sending their friends to us now and family, mm -hmm. and people that they care about. And, and there is a tacit agreement with medicine that we're here to help. And it's supposed to be repeatable and it's supposed to be logical and it's supposed to be a step-by-step -step, very much based in knowledge. And yes, there is an aspect of that. I would not deny it. I would say there is an aspect of that. And then there's this other thing that I think we're talking about. Mm -hmm. right now. You've had this. I, I think people listening to this, sometimes you put a few needles in or you'll come back in the room and people will tell you about an experience that they had that like totally unrelated to your diagnosis and to them, mm -hmm. often not to us, not unrelated to the thing they came in with. Right. I think that's very surprising for folks that sometimes something very profoundly will shift. They walk out completely different. They may still have some back pain. They may still have the troubles they have with their spouse, but they're kind of different. Yes. And again, I think that's one of our gifts to our culture and our world at this time, that we operate with the majority of the world is unseen. Oh, I love that. The majority of the world is unseen. Yeah. We like to think it's so seen. Well, look, I got this little device in my hand. I can see everything in the world. <laughs> so I hear you say the majority of the world is unseen. And I think not only is it unseen, but we're often so blind mm. to how much is unseen. Right. We forget. But when we offer ourselves to the process of, of being, to the present, to the coherence that's available then that gets taken into account automatically through our sensations, through our sensations, through our experience. We take in the unseen world because we can't help it. That's how we're set up. So if we don't dominate ourselves with our beliefs and our thoughts, and we allow that sensation to come into our experience, then we have the power of that mostly unseen world behind us which is extraordinary. And that's what some people call miracles, of course, when that happens. Well, you've just given me another leg to stand on, so to speak. Because <laughs> we were talking earlier in the conversation about perception and how you know, our mind can muck with our perception. There's that initial, and then the story machine starts. If you can catch it before that and maybe abide with it a bit, there's that. And then there's the mind that's sort of caught and captured, right? We're talking about that. To invite in, as you just did, that so much is unseen. And to bring that into the mix of all of this. And I can't tell you why, but it's somehow a little bit reassuring. I think it's reassuring for everyone because everyone knows that. <laughs> Again, 
probably you've been hearing about this from Margot, <laughs> the master and his emissary, yes. uh, Ian McGilchrist, right? Mm-hmm. He is representing pretty much that because we've been dominated by the left brain, which thinks that it logic should be the answer to everything, that we've lost the recognition that in fact, that logic is not the best organi- organizer of our experience and not always the best leader <laughs> in every situation. And not necessarily accurate either. And not necessarily accurate. So by working in the way that we've been talking, you're marshalling Oh, gosh, and I'm not going to remember the name. There's a term for when you get both hemispheres of the brain synchronized and working at the same time. I can almost picture it, but I can't quite say it. I think it's like hemispheric synchronized something. It happens sometimes with music. You can entrain Mm. both sides of the brain into that state. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what we're doing when we practice acupuncture this way. We're actually marshalling both sides of the brain were actually allowing in that unseen felt world. And that gives us just enormous ballast, enormous capacity. Ballast. That's a great word. <laughs> it's what keeps ships upright in storms. Yeah. Well, like I said a few minutes ago, we could probably talk for eight hours <laughs> as you laid out this whole thing with these different channels and then we just may have to come back talk about that more sometime would you do that would you be up for that i would totally be up for that all right somewhere down the road we're going to come back and and dig into that Um, but for today coherence presence all within that soup of the unknown that's isn't that a curious way to practice medicine (laughs) it's a beautiful way it's the ancient way founded in long before there was the kinds of books and science we have. Mm-hmm. The human being was the, the resource. Well, and we still are when you come right down to it. And we still are. We still are. We've got a lot of great tools in the world. We've got a lot of great things that we've made and capacities for extending our senses in many directions. And yet in this moment, with this breath, with whoever we're with, We don't do so well without it on iPhone, do we? (laughs) Are you teaching this? Are you doing classes on this or sharing this in some way? What are you, or just yakking with me on the podcast? Yeah, so in September, I'm going to be meeting with people, hosting a group of people in the clinic for a week on this topic and in this way. With the five-channel system, with a group of people, and... All of us are going to work with presence, work with meditation, and also work with the pulse and work with diagnosis. We're going to layer it all in together as a group and practice in that way. So, Cool. So there's there's some ongoing kinds of work you're doing with this. Yeah. All right. I'll make sure that your contact information is on the show notes page so people can reach out if this uh, rings a bell for them. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. So fun. (laughs) <laughs> as always. Well, my friend, yeah, it's always a delight to hang out with you and see where our noodling about medicine takes us. Yeah, so much fun. And, and I always come away a little more appreciative, I think that's the word, of this really unique medicine that's come down to us that we get to be a part of, add to. Yes, and hopefully pass along. It's very much a living presence. Yes. And I love that you do this all the time with your podcast. It's great. It's a great thing. All right. Well, until the next time then. Okay. I so appreciate a conversation that opens up a field of inquiry that leaves me with more potent questions that enlivens my curiosity and has me considering that moment just before the mind jumps in. And there was something in this conversation about how if the body does not have enough blood, then it will lean on dampness. That makes me think about moments in my life when I've settled for something that was actually not so good for me because I could not get or I did not have the courage 
to go after what I really wanted and might have been more supportive and nourishing to me. This helps to explain how our bodies can hold on to substances or stances that are not optimal, but we get habituated to it. And so healing is in part providing what the body really needs and in part disentangling it from what it's grown used to. Homeostasis, it doesn't always work in our favor. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.